Hello and welcome to the podcast, Every Moment is Sacred, where we interweave meditation and healing into everyday life. I am your host, Rain Elizabeth Stickney. Now, let us begin. Hey, welcome back. Thank you for being here. If this is your first time here, you have made it to Every Moment is Sacred, now airing every Wednesday, integrating healing and meditation into everyday life. Today, we have a healing conversation with Emily Geyser, health coach. Emily is a life and wellness coach for women who are exhausted. She takes a food-first approach to wellness while incorporating other aspects of healthy living, rewiring thoughts and beliefs and nervous system regulation. Tune into her podcast, You To What?, which shares topics of alternative health and wellness. Emily also offers private and group coaching, and you can learn more about her on her website, emilygeyser.com. E-M-I-L-Y, just like the wonderful name Emily, Geyser, G-E-I-Z-E-R, emilygeyser.com. And all her information will be in the show notes. She offers a wait list for her Sugar Shake Off, which is a five-day adventure of releasing and letting go of sugar. You can find that on her website. And her Instagram handle is at Emily Geyser. I loved talking with Emily There is a natural feeling of friendship. She is so kind and likable and relatable. Her health and wellness coaching shows up in the most delightful way in a conversation about some of my experiences in life so far and her wit and wisdom sharing her professional and life experiences as well. At the end of this conversation, you will hear Emily and I talk about the healing powers of gratitude. If you would like to journey into a daily gratitude practice with me, I welcome you to. I have a offering that is through email and it is called Redwoods and Snow. It began in October of 2020. And everybody loves this practice, including me, which offers daily quotes, poems, my personal gratitudes, and you as a participant have the opportunity to share your gratitudes with me. Some people simply like to receive what I am offering and that inspires them in their daily life. They might choose to share their gratitudes with a loved one face-to-face or in a way that is personal to them. They might choose to share their gratitudes with themselves, just listening to their own heart and what the gratitude that is arising naturally. And when someone shares their gratitude with me, 
I respond with an email back so that there is reciprocity. For some examples of what other people have experienced in the Redwoods and Snow daily gratitude practice, here are some testimonials. Nancy shares, what a wonderful gratitude practice this has been. I have kept a gratitude journal in the past, but the daily online prompts, poems, and quotes here have been quite an inspiration. My mindset has shifted over time to one of appreciation and brightness. Thank you for this practice, Rain. Charlotte adds, I appreciate the routine, the connection, and the history of my own gratitude of life that I sometimes read back over when I need to hear it. Thank you for being with me and guiding me in all of this over the past years. Tom says, It is necessary work that keeps us focused and is a reminder of our connections with the universe. And Susanna adds, I have been grateful for your beautiful and inspiring posts each morning. And for me, it is simply a delight to share my gratitude with you. I truly am grateful for you. Thank you for being here, listening to this show. Thank you for being here in life. Thank you for your presence. Email me, healing at rainelizabeth.org for a sample of what this daily email would look like. Or you can go directly to my website to pay for this practice, rainelizabeth.org slash payment. You'll find all the information there. It's very easy. And it's also a scalable pricing so you can pay what you choose. Every amount of appreciation and generosity is very helpful in continuing this project. And now I am happy to present to you Emily Geyser, podcast host of You Know What? She shares with us about cinnamon, neuroscience, and exactly what eudaimonia is. Here we go. Hey, Emily. Hi, Rain. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you for joining me today. Awesome to be here. I've been looking forward to this. Mm, me too. I truly admire you. I'm a little bit starstruck right now. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's fun to share life and it's fun to feel good. It feels good to feel good. And if that's motivating and inspiring to other people, I love it. Yeah, it does feel good to feel good. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think that in I mean, I'm just jumping in here because of what you said, like, I think in today's culture, we almost have to be a little bit defiant or think outside of the box to feel good. Mm -hmm. Do you know, the way things are set up right now is not really jive with well being. And so it is a kind of a countercultural approach. Mm -hmm. I like that perspective. And it reminds me of agency, what you and I were just talking about before I pressed record, that agency is something that's very important to you. It's so important. We have so much power to feel good, but it requires, it does require effort and looking at, looking at life a little bit with um, maybe a magnifying glass to see like, hmm, what's, what's not working here? Being reflective, 
right? Mm -hmm. Questioning, questioning things around sleep and stress and food and lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I think that if we are just to live by the uh, rhythm of our phones and an intense work cycle, man, you can feel pretty crummy pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I was just in these last recent days, this transition into spring, we're newly into spring right now as we're talking. And I've been really longing for my own natural rhythm, rather than that responsive rhythm to responding to family or responding Mm. to commitments. You know, I have a lovely life that I adore. However, there is a lot of responding. And I was craving that natural rhythm of my own, my own heart, my own being. And so is that something that you're familiar with? Like, is that a place you normally inhabit or you're, you're aware that you're not inhabiting it and you want to get back to it? Such a good question. As a mom, Emily, I am not as good at being in my own rhythm. And I know other mothers, perhaps you have other ways of, of working that out. But for me, I'm very responsive. And so uh, way back when, when I was single and not a mom, I was very good at living in my own rhythm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'd say that, that there's a rhythm to my rhythm these yes. days. Right. Like being in my rhythm comes and goes depending on some other important circumstances. Well, there are so many seasons to parenting and what the needs are at the time that require us, I think, to be at times more responsive and less in tune with our own needs and much more in tune with everybody else's needs. But I also find that that comes and goes. And then there are pockets where for me as a parent, I can like really center back into myself. Yeah. It's not necessarily a place where I get to like, with kids living at home anyway, you, it, I haven't found it that I can just maintain that for great time on end, which I think is normal and natural. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, could be. And so I want to back up a little bit and allow our listeners to get to know something about your journey through this world so far. Mm-hmm. Who are you? How have you come to this moment? What are you passionate about? Oh, that's a big, juicy question. <laughs> that question of who am I? I'm like, do I answer with the roles that I fulfill? I'm a mom of two teenage girls. I have been married for, probably shouldn't do this on air. Let me see if I can get it right, 22 <laughs> years. And um, I live in North Carolina and I am a practicing health coach. What were the, what were the other parts of this question? What are you passionate about and what has your evolution through this lifetime been like for you so far? Oh boy, it gets juicier (laughs) each time I ask you. (laughs) I am like passionate about well-being. I'm really passionate about feeling awesome, showing up the best I can for those I love, for those who I don't know and need me to show up well. I am passionate about um, social activism I am passionate about equal rights. I'm passionate about raising kids that are well-regulated, that know how to regulate themselves in this crazy world. Yeah, that's what I'm passionate about. And that's most of those threads. I wasn't a parent, obviously, when I was a young kid, but a lot of those threads have been true for me my, my whole life. I've been interested in environmentalism and social activism since I was a young kid. And my journey to health and well-being started when I was quite young. Um, I try to like trace it back to exactly when. I know that 
I know that I went on my first diet when I was a freshman in high school. And then over the past, like, you know, 25 years, it's been a different journey of wellness and what wellness actually is, what it feels like in my body. It's not, it's not a, it's not a look, right? It's a feeling. And so it's been something that I've just been super interested in and have had great success in adjusting like irregular cycles, chronic headaches, even like really stinky feet. I've never said this on a podcast, but when I was, I had like really stinky feet until I adjusted my diet in a way that like my feet don't smell at all anymore. Isn't that wild? I just, I've had a lot of fun seeing the effects of changes that happen when you switch up diet and lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have to tell us what is the secret to getting rid of stinky feet? <laughs> well, I think this is what is really important for us to understand about diet and lifestyle is it's not one size fits all. So what works for me is not going to work for somebody else. So for me, it was identifying a food that was disrupting my microbiome and just mm-hmm. causing this like, you know, an unbalance happening. So when I removed gluten from my diet, and it's not something that I avoid 100%, but it's something that I've reduced drastically, because I'll just say like, in my pursuit of health and well being, like I was a vegan for about a decade, then a vegetarian, and ate a lot of bread as a vegan, right? So (laughs) um, when I eventually reduced gluten, my feet stopped smelling. I think it's amazing. Yeah. Yes, me too. I also think that's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, my husband makes fun of me because I really have no body odor. Oh, I know it's an inter- it's a strange thing, but it's actually quite true. Like we'll go camping for days and days and mm-hmm. I just don't have a body odor. Lucky you. And I'm sure there's a lot of mindfulness and thought that you put into what you're allowing into your body. I do care a lot about what I put into my body. Yes. Food mm-hmm. is medicine. It or it can be medicine, it can be your poison. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, it's really information to your cells. So mm-hmm. what we eat gives our body information of how it can function. That is so interesting. I hadn't ever thought about food as information for the cells. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Like really okay. quite literally. Mm-hmm. So this this does touch on a personal note that I mentioned to you in our little chat moments ago. So my son has a genetic difference and that genetic difference creates a ciliopathy in all of the cells of his body, which means that the cilia of his cells don't function as well as they could. And he's actually an incredible healing being and he's already seen himself. He's nine years old and he's already seen himself through some miraculous, unfathomable cures with things that are not supposed to be curable. So I trust Mm. him completely. Mm -hmm. But on this cellular level, the cilia have a little trouble communicating with each other. And so if I think about the nutrition that I put into his body as information for those cells, it leads me to feel curious about what, what do the cilia need in the cells? What do they want? What are they hungry for? Yeah, that's a fascinating pursuit. I'll be curious (laughs) what you find about that specific piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I've mentioned your podcast a couple of times, and I do really love your show. You to you to what? You to what? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so tell us about your your show and 
what eudaimonia is and just how that podcast came to be an offering moving through you. So Yudawa is named after this word called eudaimonia. Yudawa, eudaimonia. Uh, eudaimonia is just an old word. I think it's from Aristotle. And it means wellness for your highest good, or also just defined as like flourishing in, in a unique way for one's own potential. So I love this idea because health can be so one size fits all, right? There's like this new thing everybody should do, this new thing everybody should do. And that's not my experience at all of what well-being is. Putting two people next to each other as their health coach, like they would be doing two really different things because we're all so different. So I love that this concept of eudaimonia from way back when really identified the need for that to be a unique pursuit. Wellness for one is not wellness for another. To me, it just encapsulates flourishing altogether. Mm -hmm. And I love podcasts. I have had, I've spent the past several years listening to podcasts on my walk. They give me so much joy. Um, also, when I would listen, I'd be like, huh, I'd ask this. I'd be thinking in my head, like, I would ask a different question, or I wonder what they would say about this. I was like a very active listener in it. And it was a, just a kernel of an idea that would be super fun to do for my, with my business. I just, I have so many interests that I don't necessarily bring into my coaching, but they might be my own practices or just interests. So I wasn't finding a podcast that was like what I wanted to create. And I guess I just got the courage to go ahead and do it. But what's funny to me is when I trace this back way back when, when I was a little girl, I used to want to be Jane Polly on the Today Show. So when uh -huh. I think back to that, I'm like, wow, I've always had a little bit of that interviewer piece is just like naturally in me. I love, I love to watch interviews. I'm just kind of fascinated by it. So I think that's always been there. And it's been really fun to be able to explore that this year with this podcast. I've loved it. So I love what you were saying about how I'm just paraphrasing here, but I think you'll know what I mean, that health is not like there, are, there's not one thing for everybody. It's not like do this and it's going to work for everybody. Right. And I find that sugar is one of those things that could fall into a category of how a person consumes sugar, when, how much, what kind of sugar. And I know that sugar is an important topic in your work. And can we jump into sugar? Let's jump into sugar. Sure. <laughs> yes. You know, I, I just finished saying there's not one thing for everybody. And also with sugar, I'll say, you know, here's my caveat. If there is one thing that I feel pretty safe in saying, like almost every single American could reduce and benefit mm -hmm. from, it's sugar. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't like to demonize food especially in the role that I'm in, in health coaching and wellness, this idea of like, you know, restriction and diet culture is really toxic and really sticky and kind of tricky for people, right? It can be a big trigger. However, I think it's really important to also be truthful and transparent about our food. And it's not that sugar itself is a bad food. It's a plant. I mean, it comes from a plant. The problem with sugar is that it is now in about 80% of grocery items. So this is like ultra processed sugar and ultra processed food, things like vinegar, ketchup, barbecue sauce. So I'm not, so the, the thing I would need to say first, because people get kind of like alarmed about this conversation with sugar, it doesn't have to be black and white. And I'm not saying you can never 
have a cookie or ever celebrate. Those things are very normal and I hope that we can always do it. But what I think is really important is that people just be aware of where all this hidden sugar is coming from and just make different choices around that because you can still enjoy your favorite foods. You Mm -hmm. get to look for better options with that. But we're eating at least, this is a conservative estimate, five times the amount a day that the World Health Organization marks as its top limit, which you can imagine is already like higher than you want it to be for optimal health. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that is a lot of sugar. It's a lot of sugar. And the thing is, we're not going to put like, you're not, you probably don't make a cup of coffee and put six teaspoons of sugar in it. But if you were to go buy a coffee drink, it's going to have that and more Mm -hmm. in it. So it's, Mm -hmm. it is really the packaged process stuff that we're buying more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those packages are sneaky because they're so convenient. Yes. And there are all sorts of things inside that it's very easy not to think about because it may even have a nice healthy looking label. It might even have a nice name that sounds good for you. (laughs) I mean, I think sometimes health food is the worst. It can have very high sugar or the food that we're eating because we think it's healthy, like yogurt. Mm -hmm. Wow. So much sugar in there. And here's the thing about sugar is that it actually leaches nutrients from our body. So if you're being mindful about what you're putting in and eating lots of good fruits and vegetables to get those phytonutrients, which are the information for our cells, sugar leaches those nutrients out of our body. And that to me is an anti-nutrient. It's like Mm -hmm. literally doing the opposite of what we want. Mm -hmm. And it just causes complete havoc and dysregulation with how our hormones speak to each other. It's like, There's just a cascade of problems downstream when we eat sugar and our blood sugar spikes. Mm -hmm. It leads to a lot of chronic inflammation and chronic disease. So I love chocolate. I love a good cookie, but I don't necessarily need all that in my mayonnaise. You know, (laughs) you don't need a cookie in your mayonnaise. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. 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 Salad dressing is another culprit and uh, like frozen packaged food. Yeah, everywhere. Chips. I real- mm-hmm. like Chips. Even things we yeah. think are salty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, crackers. I really love reading the labels of food and I have for most of my life. I think it was partly because my mom did. Mm-hmm. And when we would go grocery shopping with her, she would read the labels of cereal boxes. Now, cereal is not necessarily healthy, but at that time, it felt like a healthy option. And she would count how many ingredients before sugar was listed. So we couldn't have anything that had sugar as the first ingredient, not the second ingredient, maybe the third or fourth ingredient, depending on what it was. But it taught me to read labels. Yeah, which is so important. And then you see that a lot of the food that we're buying as food isn't doesn't actually have food ingredients in it. It has chemical ingredients. I mean, when you talk about reading labels, it's, I was just talking about this with somebody else, like, you know, the way we're supposed to eat, quote unquote, is around the outside of the grocery store, right? Eating real whole foods, like food that came from a plant. It wasn't made in a plant, right? So you're looking for your fruits and your vegetables and your dairy and the meat just around the outside. But when you get to the aisles, that's when you have these long ingredient lists. And yes, in my health coach training, they would often say like, just make sure the first five ingredients aren't sugar. Mm -hmm. And really, if you're getting many more than five ingredients, it starts becoming a very processed food. 
But when you look at the ingredient list and you don't even, you can't buy the ingredients at the store. Mm -hmm. It's a different kind of food-like product that we're eating at that point, right? Yes. yes. And this is where we have so much agency. Like I know that we can get into habits of buying things and shopping with young kids and making it just work to get them out of the store without creating a fuss, right? Mm -hmm. And things that are easy and quick to make at home, it's all important to consider. And also this idea that like we don't want to spend any time making food is part of this cultural norm that we've established where like that's a waste of time because instead we need to be, I don't know, working. I'm not exactly sure why that's taken the place because back in the olden days, you know, half a day would be spent making a meal. And it's not like I'm looking forward to doing something like that nor suggesting anybody needs to at this point. But I don't think it's a bad thing to spend a little bit of time pulling food mm -hmm. together to feed ourselves because it's a really important thing we're doing for ourselves every single day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was just making chicken soup last night, which is something that we all love in my family. And I really, I could really eat soup almost every day. I love soup in general, <laughs> but it takes some time to make soup. It's not half a day, but it takes time. And so in the evening, as I was cooking, I was thinking, this is taking some time but it's so worth it. I'm so glad I'm doing this. And then of course, we all got to enjoy this whole food meal, which is very pleasing. It's very yes. pleasing. Mm -hmm. It's so satisfying. Mm -hmm. And there's shortcuts, right? Or crock pots and things you can do overnight. Mm -hmm. There's so many ways to, I think that when we talk about food and meals, it's easy to be overwhelmed with, with it. Mm -hmm. But I really am a big fan of simple like if I, you know, most of my meals I can get on the table in 30 minutes and they're whole foods, mm -hmm. right? And still it's quick, but I know exactly what's in there because I put each of the things into it and that feels good. Mm -hmm. Plus I can add things like garlic and onion that are going to help my immune system and turmeric to help with inflammation and, you know, cinnamon to help with blood sugar. And there's just, I love cooking. So I realize that like not everybody loves that, but a good gift to like cooking since it does take some time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm a fan. I love to cook and I love cinnamon. And I know that cinnamon is great for blood pressure and regulating heart rate, but tell us about the blood sugar connection with cinnamon. So they say that if you add cinnamon to your food, it helps regulate blood sugar levels. So you won't have quite the same glucose spike when you, um, when you're eating. So I love putting that in, like if I'm going to make muffins or mm -hmm. make pancakes or cookies, I just love cinnamon is so good. Oatmeal. Mm -hmm. I've been enjoying that. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's so many, I mean, they are really hacks. I know that's kind of a, that word tends to cheapen things, but there are hacks that you can do so that you can eat sweets and manage blood sugar a little bit better. Uh, mm -hmm. Apple cider vinegar is another one. Moving your body mm -hmm. after eating is another really big one that studies are just coming out recently. Mm -hmm. So it's been in the news quite a bit. But, you know, you can have your cake and eat it too. Just be smart about it. Mm -hmm. So tell us about the apple cider vinegar. I know some things about using that in different ways, but what are you specifically referring to with blood sugar? So this comes from, I learned this from the glucose goddess. She's a great person to follow on social media, and she's got a couple of books out. She highlighted studies where if you have like a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar or vinegar at all, not it can't be balsamic because that doesn't 
have the same effect. But like white vinegar, we just have apple cider vinegar here and I like that. But any mm -hmm. kind of vinegar, you can take it straight as a shot. If that's a bit much, just stick it in a glass of water. But if you have mm -hmm. that shortly before eating sweets, it reduces your blood sugar spike by, I think it's 30%. Mm, I have to wow. I have yeah there's two statistics I'm a little bit confused by which is which because movement is the other one and it also is movement significant if you move for like 10 minutes after you eat something sweet or just even just any meal is a great thing to do I think that reduces blood sugar spikes by 70 percent mm -hmm. really significant mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. wow it's fascinating to be in this conversation with you and feel what imprints inside of myself come forward. Mm -hmm. And I'm remembering back when I was in my 30s, I'm in my late 40s now, and I was in my mid 30s and I got really sick, but not with anything specific, just um, a lot of symptoms that continued for too long. And I found a really great nutritionist, healer, chiropractor, wonderful soul and he put me on a very strict diet, not a one size all fits diet, not, you know, but a tailored to me diet. Mm -hmm. And it basically neutralized my blood sugar spike so that I was in a steady zone of energy and rest and waking up and energy and any sort of up and down was small rather than spiking. And I felt so much better instantly. And so I have that imprint in myself where I am aware of those. For me, what happens when I eat sugar, like too much at once, I'll get very hot, mm. very quick. And I'll start to have this sugar rush. And it's very physical for me. I'll start to sweat a little bit and my head will get a little fuzzy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I'll notice, okay, this is happening. It's not a problem. It's just something that I notice about myself. And then how different it is when I'm having a more steady moment or day or week or time period where it's just the steady kind of energy. And I also watched this in my son who is very sensitive to sugar and he, but he also has a very strong craving for it. And so he's nine and sometimes he will sneak food and do things that we're also working out emotionally and trying to think of him as a whole being. But these are some of the imprints that are like coming forward in the conversation with you. I wonder if you have any thoughts or commentary or just reflections. Yeah, you're making me think of my kids who I just sent my oldest off to college this year. Wow, congratulations. And thank you. And, you know, so she's had 18 years of living with me and, and eating the way I cook. And um, I wasn't sure what would happen when she went to college and how she would navigate that. Because it's not like she was a fan of like, thanks for the kale, mom. Thanks for always giving us balanced food, mom. And so she explored and tried lots of things and noticed that she felt like crap. She's like, I feel so bloated all the time. Like, you know, and now just on her own volition, she is exploring, like, I think this kind of, when I'm eating this food, it really doesn't make me feel good. And she's exploring what does make her feel good. And I love that at 18 years old, she is learning for herself, not like, you know, not being forced into it, like she may have said she was when she was raised here, right? But 
she's she's learning for herself the agency that she has over how she feels and she is connecting it with food which plays a big role i think a lot of us are like do you know this saying about the frog in the pot of water mm-hmm. i've shared this with people and they don't know it so i'll i'll try to rephrase it the way it goes but you know if you if you have a pot of boiling water and you stick a frog in they're going to jump out it's a terrible it's a terrible visual but anyway if you have a pot of if and if you just you know put some water in a pot and put a frog in it it'll stay in there like it let's just call it like tepid water and then you turn the heat on the frog stays in there slowly and then the water's boiling and it's still in there because it's it didn't realize what was happening right and i think a lot of us can be that way about what we eat we just assume that we feel like crap because we're in our late 40s we're gaining weight because we're in our late 40s we're anxious and stressed out because life is stressful and i love to see the it's been inspiring for me to watch my daughter like have these realizations and be able to actualize what she wants and notice the benefits. And before it's like so long, 10 years from now, when she feels like crap and forgets why she even feels like crap, you know, which I think is where a lot of us end up is not really questioning our surroundings. So that's what you made me think of with that imprint Mm -hmm. is that she also has this place of like, I know what, I have felt much better. I know I can feel better mm-hmm. and adjusting that. I think it's good to have that place that you can come back. You can identify within yourself of like your own well-being. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like you said, at the beginning of our conversation, it feels good to feel good. It feels amazing to be well. Right. It can't be overstated. Yeah. 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 And what a good memory if we all can Think of a time, whether it's right now in this moment or any time in our lives when we felt really good for whatever reason or non-reason, but there is that feeling of eudaimonia, that feeling of wellness, that feeling of life moving through. Don't we want that every day? We want it every day. Yes. (laughs) And you know what's cool? There is something with neuroscience where, like, let's say you don't feel awesome right now. But if you can remember that time where you felt really good and just kind of bask in that feeling for 15 seconds, six times a day, within two weeks, you will have a better sense of well-being. Wow. 15 seconds, six Six times times. a day. So it's basically being able to do that for 90 seconds, just like Mm -hmm. really say, feel the feeling of wellness, feel the feeling of happiness, joy, whatever that feeling is, but we are talking about well-being. So that's a good one too for people that just feel like, uh, 90 seconds might be a long time to hang on to a good feeling if it feels out of reach, but 15 seconds is very doable. Mm-hmm. And then in two weeks, a person They've will measured a greater sense of well being. Yeah. Wow. That is fascinating. And I have so much control. Well, yeah, we have so much agency. We have so much control. We can really choose our reality when we find the right bite-sized chunk. Yes. It works. And it's so much about that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I'm wondering if we can talk a little bit about the different kinds of sugar. And my personal interest in this is that I do love sugar. I don't crave it. I don't need it, but I do love it. It's like a, it's like a friendly, it's like a comfort thing. So in the morning, 
My favorite, I love to have a morning beverage. It doesn't have to be caffeinated or anything specific, but I love to have something special in the morning. And I've had eons and eons of journeys of what the special thing is, even just an electrolyte that's sweetened with stevia, for example. But currently I love a cup of tea. I love it to be creamy and I love it to be sweet but I am also trying to decrease my sugar intake for some inflammation that I'm having in my body that is uncomfortable. I'd prefer not to have it. And I think that there is a link between sugar and inflammation. Would you say so? Yes, for sure. So then I thought, what if I put stevia in my tea? Like, is that any better than putting some brown sugar or maple syrup? So yes, sugar is all different. Natural sweeteners are definitely gonna be your healthier option. So in my mind, that is stevia in its less processed form, honey, maple syrup, monk fruit, right? That's a low sugar option where they've put it into like a powdered way that you could mix it well into things. That's going to be better than like your cane sugar. Different stevia is different. So if you're looking for... What I prefer if I'm looking, if I'm using stevia in a drink is a liquid stevia. Mm -hmm. The powdered white stevia is a green plant. It's like green leaves you chop up. So in its most natural form, it's going to be a green powder. When we buy it and it's white and powdery and quickly dissolves in a liquid, it's very processed. And so the thought is that its impact on our body is really different because the body doesn't recognize it quite like the plant phenols that it would normally. So with your tea, what I would do is I'd have honey. Mm. Honey is so great. It's such a good immune booster. But again, we're all different. And some people are going to spike more with honey than maybe with other things. Also, different times of your cycle, you're going to spike more than other times. Mm. So just kind of paying, I would pay attention and seasonally even maybe, right? I would Mm. pay attention to how you feel with it. But I would start, what I would do is I would start with honey and then just notice, I can tell when my blood sugar spikes and drops by how I feel. So I would be paying attention to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That answer that? Yeah. I love honey. <laughs> I love honey too. Those bees, man, they are up to some good stuff. Oh, they are. Yeah. Yes. Yes. When I went off to college long, long ago, I would go to the health food store and I would buy a gigantic container of honey and a gigantic container of raw sesame butter. And there were like these staples that I would have. And my friends would ask me like, what, what is going on? Do you think it's going to be the apocalypse? (laughs) But they were just the things that made me feel comfortable. (laughs) So did you do something with them together? Do you mix them? Yes. Yes. I love to mix them, but I just love I specifically love the raw sesame butter, the raw tahini. I like it better than the toasted form. No salt or anything. It's just round up sesame Mm -hmm. seeds. It reminds me of my childhood. It reminds me of my mom. There's comfort foods I think we all have. So I feel comfort. Yeah, That's good. And there's lots of calcium in those those sesame seeds. That's true. Yes. (laughs) And I can imagine your college friends were like, what? Yeah. No, I was always a bit of an oddball. Yeah. Hmm. Well, Emily, something that we haven't talked about in this conversation is gratitude and and specifically about healing. So what lights up for you when you just consider those topics either together or separately, gratitude and healing? I am a 
big practitioner of an attitude of gratitude. I think it's key to living a good life and to being in just like your highest resonance, which is what he, where healing happens. So it's something that I incorporated with all my clients. I think it looks different for how everybody wants to, I say practice gratitude, but by saying that I feel like it compartmentalizes this idea of gratitude to like your morning time or your nighttime or wherever you practice it. And really the goal with these practices is that gratitude becomes a part of like your every breath and your every, the whole day. But I have a gratitude practice. I actually am deepening my gratitude practice this month with a with a program, but it, it is amazing the shift I can feel when I spend a lot, when I spend, not a lot of time, when I spend any amount of time just really feeling grateful for very specific things. You know, mm-hmm. we can be grateful and have it be a thought, but if it can be a feeling like from the heart, that's everything. And when, when I feel gratitude about something that's big enough that like my heart expands, that's the money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree completely. Yeah. Yeah. I find that gratitude is an expression of heart. That's true for me. I'm so grateful for you, Emily, and I'm, I'm grateful for your voice. I'm grateful for how you're sharing your voice in the world and how you're helping people and that you're willing to engage in conversation with me today. I'm just grateful for your whole being. You're so wonderful. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm grateful for this opportunity to sit here with you and connect more and share things I'm passionate about. It's fun. Mm, thank you. And is there anything more that you want to leave our audience with anything that has not been said that's in your heart that wants to speak? Well, I think uh, one thing I, I failed to mention is that if people are listening about sugar specifically, but you know, anything that we're talking about here, I'm a health coach, you can go to my website, I'm sure rain will post all of that in the show notes, I offer free calls. So you can check and see if we're a good fit for each other. But more specifically, if you listen to that sugar conversation and you're feeling either like you've done sugar detoxes and you'd like to do another one or like you've never done it and you're kind of curious what it's like, I just ran a five-day sugar shake-off is what it's called and we'll be running others. So there is, um, there's a wait list on my website if you would like to learn more. It's an awesome uh, it, was, it was an awesome experience this last time. I love the feedback, but I will just tell you that, you know, people said it was a lot easier than they thought it would be. It was a gentle program and that's all feedback that feels really good because I know it can be really scary to give up these things that we're really attached to. Mm-hmm. And it's not a give it up forever. It's just for five days. Five days. Five days. It's <laughs> no time. Mm-hmm. And what's amazing is how different people feel on day five. Like mm-hmm. I just am struck by the fact that if you just give it up for such a short amount of time, you already have better sleep, better energy, flatter belly is what most people say they notice the most. That's a short amount of time to see such a big change. So then it also makes me wonder what it's doing in that short amount of time, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if the sugar were being eaten in those five days, what would be happening in that scenario? And I was listening to one of your episodes recently, and I think you were saying that also sugar has a relationship with the skin. Big one. Yes. 
Yeah, it's called sugar face. Yes, along with flatter belly, the other piece that people notice the most when they take out sugar is that their skin tightens and glows. So sugar has this, because it's sugar breaks down a lot of things in the body, including collagen. So often people that have tend towards wrinkles and just saggy skin will notice a big difference when they remove sugar because the collagen can function like it's supposed to again. Mm, wonderful. And as we age, we're losing our collagen, right? So we, we don't want to hasten that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but not to mention acne and just inflammation and the swelling and the puffiness that happens. All of that is connected with sugar and skin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you have the sugar shake off. You have you to what podcast? You to what? Yes. You have your website, emilygeiser.com. Is that right? Correct. Yes, it is. Uh-huh. So all those things will be in the show notes and people can find you. And I highly, highly recommend Emily for everything health and wellness and nutrition. And as you can see, she's just such a delightful soul to connect with. You're sweet. Thank you, Rain. Thanks for this conversation. Thank you so much for listening. It has been a great joy to have your presence here in this podcast. I welcome you to celebrate the joy and wisdom in your life exactly as it is. And I welcome you to feel loved, fully loved, exactly as you are. www.rainelizabeth.org